You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. There are two fundamental sides to every actor. The artistic part of us that loves rehearsing and performing. And then there's the business aspect, which handles money, contracts, and other details. Both are obviously crucial to our success, but while we're good at taking lessons, getting coachings, uh, joining classes to work on that creative side, we aren't often as diligent or even aware of our need to build up our fiscal muscles and business know-how. That's where Ethan Steimel comes in and his podcast, Artistic Finance. He crunches the numbers and breaks down the nitty-gritty of various financial concepts, helping us creative folk to see ourselves as a business. Artistic finance is conversations with artists about the money and the business side of show business. And my mission is to help artists avoid simple financial mistakes and also help them find the easy steps to take. And then, most importantly, provide a space that any artist can get any money question answered without shame, without guilt or stigma. Welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, a top 25 theater podcast featuring honest conversations with fellow creatives on what holds us back and the challenges us as actors and artists face. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer who knows firsthand the ups and downs we all confront. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can sign up for the Win Me newsletter and learn about upcoming guests and useful artistic resources. Again, that's whyillnevermakeit.com, or look for the link in the show notes. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Twenty twenty two not only brought a new season for this podcast, but also a new title to my portfolio: founder and CEO of WinMe Media LLC. You see, for the past thirty years, I've been performing with a little producing on the side. But then, in twenty seventeen, this podcast started, which added another component to my producing and hosting duties. So now, with this LLC, I'm. Bringing together my performing, producing, and podcasting under one umbrella. <laughs> but, but honestly, I, I've been my own business for the past 30 years. This LLC just makes it official and legal. And it was in this new role as both an actor and now business owner that I came across Artistic Finance, hosted by Ethan Steimel. 
I brought him here to talk about his podcast and introduce an important episode on how artists should treat themselves as a business. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me and for arranging all this. I'm absolutely thrilled to be part of your show and so, so happy that you've welcomed me to your community. Absolutely. Always, always glad to have another member, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, professionally speaking, you are a lighting designer and have worked on about 60 shows since 2013, which is a bit mind-boggling to me. Uh, so I would imagine that you've, uh, that you've had a pretty good handle on balancing that creative and business side of your career. I love that you mentioned 60 shows because it's probably more like 120 <laughs> And <laughs> right, I was undercutting you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like how you know, I don't know when I last updated my resume or the list. Um, but and that's not necessarily necessarily something I, I'm proud of because I'd I'd rather do like three shows a year, but just have them be Broadway shows. So I'd prefer to have only done ten shows, but like really ten massive Broadway. Shows. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, I get it. I'm right there with you. But as far as designers go, that that's not unusual to have a a, a number of shows because we you know we tech for a week or a month. And then we set it up and, and the actors and the, and the run crew keep with it. And we go straight into tech for another show. So, so if we do a show a month, that's easily 12 a year. Um, and I'd say most people are doing, most designers are, are doing more than that. Um, but it, I also love that you think I have a handle on my business and, and the financial side <laughs> of my career. And I will say, yes, that I, I do keep a spreadsheet of my deductions. So in a, in a sense, I'm organized. And when it comes to tax time, I have my spreadsheet that I use every year and I just copy paste and then fill in the new information. But I do get behind. My goal is to update it once a month. But <laughs> Oh, I've, I, I've had that same goal. It is really tough to like sit down with those receipts once a month. No, I get it. So uh, let's pretend, but I'm not, you know, that rarely happens. So if I update it twice a year, that's good. Um, but when it comes to tax time, which tax time for me is January through April, like that, that entire four months is all tax time. Um, so that's when I'm, you know, one day I sit down and go through this credit card receipts. Then the next day I go through another credit card receipts, then, then the bank statements. So uh, I don't, I don't consider myself having a handle on it, but I do know it just goes in one of the boxes on the, on the spreadsheet, but I, I am a work in progress. So, and I say that because I started artistic finance so that I can ask people questions and learn from them and learn what I should be doing for a business. Um, and in the case of Jonathan Cerullo, who, who we'll hear shortly, he's treating himself as a business. And you, this year, opening up your LLC, you're treating yourself as a business. I'm not quite there yet, but I appreciate that you, you think so highly of me. But yeah, total, total work in progress here. Well, I certainly greatly appreciate you for sharing one of your episodes specifically about treating our artistic self as a business entity. And it's with Jonathan Cerullo, a, a director that you've worked with a couple of times. Yeah, uh, the most recent thing, which was pre-COVID, so I guess that was forever ago. But the most recent thing was The Boys from Syracuse at Theatre Row. And I also lit a musical called Chance, which was by composer Richard Eisen. And that's where we first worked together. And it was in a festival setting. And I'm sure all of your listeners know that a festival scene, um, to put it crudely, is a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am situation. Yeah. In and and out, done. If you, yeah. And if you can create something artistic in a festival schedule, then you sort of hang on to those collaborators because, you know, one, you have a shorthand that you've developed with them, but they also know some shortcuts to sort of make something look good, elegant, 
even if perhaps you don't have the budget or the time. So you sort of hang on to those people. So that that's Jonathan for me. That's great. That's great. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about this episode and what we can expect to learn from your conversation with Jonathan? Yeah. So Jonathan has an interesting story and he's also a lovely storyteller. There's something about just him talking that makes you want to listen. He started as a dancer, but now at this point in his career, he's been a director and a choreographer and also like you a little bit into producing. He's been doing that for longer than he was a dancer. Um, Then we talk about his transition from being a dancer to becoming choreographer and director, and then of course, incorporating as an LLC. And unlike me, he's very organized with this legal document and he's always clear on his legal obligations for projects. And like you, you and I, we're going to collaborate again in the future and talk about LLCs specifically. Well, Jonathan has one, you have one. Secret is I have one, but I don't use it. I I consider it like, I I don't treat myself as a business, so I have it. But to me, it's like a dead weight around my neck. So Jonathan is quite the opposite. He's, He's really good about that. And what interested me in chatting with him is that every year, once or twice a year, I get this newsletter from him. And I've been getting it for years. And I know that as the creator of artistic finance, and I think we all know as the creator of anything, everybody needs a newsletter. Or you need somewhere that you can connect with your community that's off of social media. And also, by the way, I know that Why I'll Never Make It has a newsletter, which you just mentioned. (laughs) And I'm going to sign up right after we finish recording. Thank you. Thank you. And so I thought I'll get him on and I'll learn to sort of replicate his actions. Now, it has been several months since his interview uh, on artistic finance, and I still don't have a newsletter or a mailing list. And that brings up the recent point that a guest made, and she said, knowledge is not power, applied knowledge is power, which is so spot on, and that, I hope, stays with me for the rest of my life. So Jonathan, in this episode, supplies the knowledge, and the power is going to come when I or you apply it. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel. We are recording this October 13th, 2021. Today, our guest is director, choreographer, executive producer, and former professional dancer, Jonathan Cerullo. Welcome, Jonathan. Well, first of all, Ethan, thank you for having me on this. Um, what a successful endeavor you've been doing with this. Um, as far as uh, my, myself is, um, uh, I just turned sixty, so I'm grateful that um, I'm I'm of that uh, age, and I have a perspective on this career that I've been working and doing for the past forty years. Um, so I live in New York City, um, uh, same apartment for thirty nine years. I uh, graduated from Emerson College with my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Directing, minors in English, Photography, and Dance, uh, which will play a key role in my life. I have a twin. I'm a twin. Uh, My other half is Math and Science, and I got the Arts and Humanities. uh, So that's a wonderful part of my my life. I want to move to your creative and financial personalities. What is a live event that you like to experience? I like to experience good theater. I was a... Lucille Ortel nominator for that prestigious award for the off. What does that theater. mean that you were a nominator? 
my union, the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union, asked me to be part of the nominating committee for this award. It's the Lucille Hotel Award, which has been around for decades. And it actually governs the off-Broadway, like the league does Broadway and the Tony Awards. This is the off-Broadway awards. It completely has to do with the rulings, the size of the house, what the contract you're on, all of, all of those machinations. We say off-Broadway, and the shows that are actually off-off-Broadway or off-off-off-off because people throw around the term off-Broadway. But if you're up for a Lucille Lortel Award, that's actually the real off-Broadway. That is a legitimate, codified, uh, recognized collective bargaining agreement for that particular level of theater. You are right. People toss around off-Broadway, but really it could be a showcase and that is not considered off-Broadway. It is considered a showcase uh, or any other machination thereof. And, and there are so many different requirements that a producer must fill. The producer actually has to be a member of the off-Broadway league. So it, it's governed by, you know, it's sanctioned by various rules and regulations. But the Lucille Hortel Outer Critics Circle Awards and the Drama Desk Awards are all sanctioned to nominate Off-Broadway. And that award, in combination with the Joe A. Calloway Award, which is a peer-to-peer award that's given by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union to each other. There's no outside nominators that are part of that. It's just directors and choreographers looking at directors and choreographers' work, recognition from your peers. It's a peer-to-peer award. Whereas the Lortel, you've got scenic designers, you've got a whole gambit of, of a crossbreed of, of, of various persons looking at that, a lot of journalists, critics, etc. Through that, in answer to your question, I, I spent eight years doing this. It was getting a PhD from Yale Repertory Theater, Harvard Business School, MIT, every Ivy League school. It rolled into those eight years that I could have never paid for. It sharpened to a laser perfect focus what constitutes good theater. And it could be a whole gamut of different criteria. Boy, I tell you, the one thing is if it didn't catch me in the first five minutes, I knew it wasn't going to catch me. It wasn't going to make me sit up. Because when you have such a plethora of work, I understand so carefully now what even the Tony Awards committees go through to recognize someone in, 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 in their field. They're not kidding. They are not kidding. That is a tough competition out there. I'm grateful for it because when you say, what, what events do I like? I like good theater. I mean, I really do. I, I don't mean to sound so silly about that. but I No, and, and, and I think that's a great answer because the same thing with people who nominate for the Tonys. They have to go see every single show. If it's Everything. good, if it's bad, and if they miss one, they're not allowed to vote for it or in that category. They're not allowed to vote. You are to recuse yourself from a category if you did not see. You are to recuse yourself from a category if you if you missed one out of the four shows. You can't even, and they keep track. They know who's gone where and when you showed up and when you didn't and, show and up. And also, because I know people who nominate for the Tonys and they have to go see every single one of those shows, but there's actually more off-Broadway theater than there is Broadway theater. I saw in an average year over 200 plays and musicals. So over the eight years, you do the math. It's literally thousands, thousands of shows, that, you know, close to thousands of shows. That It was quite an education. Which you can do in New York. And I think people from other cities that don't have as big of a theater scene think, you know, because that's every other day you're seeing a show. You oh, know, every 200 day. shows a year. 
It's everything. Yeah, yeah, because, because those are <laughs> yeah. just the off-Broadway nominated or potential. Then there's Broadway and the dance and the opera, which is not part of the off-Broadway categories. I, I, I rolled off, as they call it, after you know the eight years. And I was grateful to do that because it really became a chore. I stopped enjoying going to it. And like I, I, like I said, I could tell within five minutes if this was going to be nominated, if that wasn't going to be nominated, you can't do that. Yeah. So I needed to take a breath and take a step away from it, um, being where we've been, uh, not being able to go to the theater. I'm grateful that it came when it did. Um, I'm kind of want to go back to it now. So we'll tell committee if you're listening, you know, call me. On to your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? I am careful with money. I am respectful of money. And I'm terribly afraid. Have you been afraid your whole life? Yes and no. That fear changed over time. I'm blessed to have been brought up in a very stable household. As I talked to my dad, I said, if I lived one ninth of your life with what you've built for yourself, I would be a happy camper. So my hat's off to you, dad. I said, how how, how did you do that? How did you figure that out? He goes, very simple. Two words, hard work, period. He didn't necessarily teach me the value of a dollar, but he told me I couldn't have the dollar until I earned the dollar. That was the connection for me. As I grew up, realized that I needed to be careful with my money because it wasn't falling off trees. I needed to respect it because it could easily take me to a place that I didn't want or it could put me in a place that I could be at a loss at. Part of me became afraid of it too because at one point in my career, I was earning quite a substantial salary. I was in a big production um, uh, that uh, I stayed with for a number of years. What was the production? <laughs> it was <laughs> I the, have to ask. So there was the London production and then the Broadway production, the Los Angeles production, and then my production of this little musical called Cats, which I was very blessed to be cast in. As my mother would say, well, at least you made the top five. And that was, I, I was the fourth person in the trajectory of that show to be cast as the Skimbleshanks character, Skimbleshanks the Railway Cat. So, Well, Skimbleshanks, it's an honor to be talking with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> and as many have said, you were in the Hamilton of your times. You, you were in this absolute mega, mega money-making musical that no expense was spared in it. And we were very fortunate to be making incredible salary. When I realized how much money I was making, I was like, ooh, I can buy that, and I can buy that, and I can do that. And then I thought, oh, wait a second. Hold on. Pull those reins back. This is your nest egg, and this is going to be your retirement, and this is going to be where you're going to have to you know, live off of for X number of years. And you know, so that happened a few times. I was in a, you know, Knockwood, a few other big shows like that, which was wonderful, and I, I'm careful with it. I, I am respectful of it because the way I was taught to handle it. But I can be very afraid of it because I think, wow, what if I what if I make, you know, X millions of dollars? Who will I be in relationship to that? It's, it's an interesting thought process. So you said you were making a very good salary. That was a union show. What was a weekly fee? And I not to date you, but I know it was a long time ago. So the minimums and all that are different now. Not that different i'm sorry to have to say um because i do look at the figures that a chorus co- well i was on a i was on a pink contract uh which uh, is a chorus contract but i had a rider 
because I was doing a role that had a number. And you know, when equity sees a show, they determine who gets what. That's, that's, the, that's on them. It also depends on if you're above title, if you're below title, and what color contract you're on, pink or white, simple. Um, that hasn't changed. But the writer is what really started to get the money going. The other thing too, you have to understand, this was the national tour. So we were on per diem. There were ways that you could figure out how to save your per diem because that was just money in your pocket. You had your salary, your base salary. I had my additional rider for doing skimble shanks. We also got hazard pay because of the rake on the stage. And we also got time extra to come in to do our makeup. There were all these little, you know, add-ons that happened. By the time I was walking out of there, I mean, I think it was two grand that I was making a week at that time, I was okay with it, you know? I think the job was, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more, but whatever it was, when I went to get my earnings from the union, from the, from the Actors' Equity, the lady puts the paper on the table, and, and I had a several other shows that I was Broadway shows, and I looked at the thing, and I was like, did I actually make that much money? I was like, are you kidding me? I said, where the hell did it all go, <laughs> you know? But, you know, that, that like I said, it was, you know, quite a while ago, but that money rolled into an IRA account. It rolled into my pension and welfare. It, it, you know, it, it paid for health insurance. So the benefits were, were, were wonderful. So I'm, I'm, I'm a pro-union guy and because I belong to every union under the sun and then some. So Amazing. And how, how long were you with that show? Two years. Two years. And I immediately went into another, I mean, immediately, like a week later, I left the show and then I went into another Broadway show, uh, which I was another nine months on. Um, and then I did uh, another Broadway show after that. So I was very fortunate. I, I, I knock wood um, on all of that. So yeah, I was making top dollar. So I would ask you a simple question that is encompasses a lot here. How do you make a living? And or specifically, how have you made a living? You clearly started as a dancer. But then how have you, you know, changed that throughout to today where you're directing mostly? They, they are all transferable skills. And I think it's very important to understand you can trans, transferable skills. Because I asked that very same question. When I got a phone call from a prominent director and choreographer, Patricia Birch, who, if your viewers aren't aware of who she is, her career is, is a 50, 60 year career. She's most noted for being the choreographer for Greece, the the music, the original production of Greece, and then she directed the film and the sequel to the film. Called me one day and she says, "Hey, I I hear you you want to be a, a director and a choreographer. Well, I'm going to take you out of the chorus because I you're, you're too good for the chorus. I've seen your work. Uh, I need an, I'm looking for an assistant. That was it, Ethan. I hung up my toe shoes. I had one more show to do, one more contract to do, and after that contract, I hung up my toe shoes. I didn't want to perform again. I had done it. I'd done it on every level you can conceivably do it on. I was in the trenches with it. I was that dancer that went to the, uh, went to the GM on opening night and handed in my notice, my two week out, because I had another show that was coming up at another theater that I was already in. I was so blessed with that. I never stopped working as a dancer. I was a guy. I was good looking. I had hair. I could sing. I could dance. Eh. And I could, I could do these little specialty parts. So, but when Pat called me and says, I'm looking for an assistant, I switched gears like that. I stayed her assistant for about 13 years. 
And those were experiences that I would never have gotten on my own. Film work, television work, international work, Canada, Europe, um, everything from major motion pictures to TV specials, more, a couple more Broadway shows. I was always included in on her contract. So, so I was part of her negotiation and I was paid very handsomely. And I never, ever worried about that. But I respected the fact that she took care of me. And she took care of me very nicely. She had top-of-the-line service uh, afforded her, as she should. And I was part of that. So I was so grateful. As I say, I have drunk from that goblet. <laughs> I have sat at that table and, 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 and eaten with, with that gold fork, gold spoon, whatever it is. And then there comes a point in time where you say, okay, I've done enough assisting. I need to move forward. And I move forward. And that's when I started my production company, which I think we'll talk about. I really just embraced a, a career as a director and choreographer. So how I make my how I make my living? I have made it in the entertainment industry, plain and simple. And how old were you when you switched from dancing to assistant directing? And then again, I guess 13 years from there, transitioning to just directing on your own. There was a point in my life when I was giving myself the five-year cycle, you know, thing, like five years I have to be doing this and five years I have to be doing that, which is sort of I still think about that. Let me see. I got my equity card right out of college. So I was, and I got my first Broadway show literally out of college. So, you know, 21 to 31 was my dancing, you know, 31 to 41 was uh, working with Pat. 41 to 50 was sort of, you know, when I transitioned through all of that. I am grateful to be alive today. I have not had any other career except that in the entertainment industry, whether it be on the business side or the performing side or the management side. That's all I've done. You mentioned your production company. So you created that when you went to direct on your own? A little bit. So I looked up that information because you asked, when did you create that? It was 2013 that I that I actually became a legitimate uh, limited liability company and I filed papers with New York State but I was using JSC I was using JSC productions prior to that as an ENI which is in which is basically your like an independent contractor which I still am an independent contractor but I legitimately formed the company in 2013 and I did that slightly prior to turning 50 actually I had gotten to a point where I said, there has to be more beyond five, six, seven, eight. There are numbers past that. I applied for the Caroline Newhouse Career Transition for Dancers Scholarship, and you had to give them a business plan. Well, I didn't know what the heck a business plan was. So the Actors Fund, which your audience should also know about, has programs which helps artists understand that there's a world bigger than just what we do. There are classes that they offer. There's, uh, you know, how to build your resume other than acting resume, how to do, how to engage in other, you know, entrepreneurial components of your life. You just shouldn't sing, dance and act that you shouldn't just do that. You should, you should form a company. You should, you should become an entity uh, and taken seriously in, in the world. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be legitimized, basically. The Actors Fund was holding a workshop called How to Create Your Production Company. And I thought, oh, let me, I want to apply to that. I did, and I was turned down. 
Hmm. Next year, same thing. Had a creative production company. I applied and I was turned down. So I said, wait a second now. I picked up the phone and I called the lady up and I said, this is the second time you have turned me down for this. Why? Jonathan, you have too much experience. You're, this is, this is, this is, you're, you're beyond this. And I said, Mrs. So-and-so, I said, you know, the minute I stop learning, that's going to be a really bad day. And there was silence on the other end of the phone. And she said, you're in. And that opened the door. I learned about the Commercial Theater Institute through that. I learned about the uh, uh, NIFA, the New York Foundation for the Arts, which is an incredible organization, Theater Resources Unlimited, and several other organizations that help you understand that little word next to the word show. I wish I could coin the phrase, but Irving Berlin got to it before me, and that is business. There, this is a business. It's show business. It's not show art. It's not show pretty. It's show business. And I knew show, show very well, Ethan. I knew it. I could do it cold, but I didn't know business. So I made a concerted effort to basically stop what I was doing and learn the business of show business. And I was hungry and voracious, and I took every course I could possibly take, applied to everything, and. I'm, I'm proud to say I'm a graduate of the Commercial Theater Institute's um, alumni. Uh, I, I, I have been a, a guest speaker for the New York Foundation for the Arts, um, specifically on how do, you, how do you transition from being a dancer to being a, a, a business owner within the arts community. Why did you create an LLC versus just working as an independent contractor. So, so I, I, I do work as an independent contractor, and you can work as an independent contractor when you have an LLC. It depends upon the job I'm doing. If I'm hiring people to work for me, which I've had the opportunity to do, I don't want that employee, not, they're not actually an employee, um, I don't want that individual to come back and say, oh, you know, I broke my finger and I'm going to sue you and I'm going to take your, 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 your apartment and I'm going to take your, your summer home. I didn't want, I wanted to have a complete separation of the business from the personal. And so I didn't want those two to collide at all. Uh, So that's why I created a limited liability corporation company, LLC. So I have limited liability. Whenever I go and do a work under my production company that I hire somebody or I hire a venue or lighting equipment or whatever it is, no one can come back to me and take drain my bank account, you know, take my house, you know, t- take the car. They can't do that. Um, so I, I, I did this specifically to separate the personal from the professional, period. Okay, so so you work as a director, as an independent contractor. Somebody can just hire you to come in and direct. Right, because I'm a union member, and, 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 and I can actually hire myself through my company, under an SDC contract. I can't sign my contract, so what did I do? I put my sister, that twin I spoke about, I put her as a president of the company. So she can sign checks, she can sign contracts, which is what I actually had did did a few, you know, for a number of a number of years. But I am still an independent contractor. I don't work for a corporation. 
you know, that, that's, that's a different thing. I'm an employee. When a producer hires me, then I become an employee of that, or, of that particular job. But the union has, you know, has, they have a union, I sign a union contract, first and foremost. That, that, that's a non-negotiable. Um, but I can do that if I produce the play. I Give us an myself. example of something that you've done with the JSC Theatricals LLC. Last year, uh, I produced a, a streaming online benefit for the Actors Fund and for Broadway Cares Equity Flights AIDS called With Love Now and Forever, Cats for COVID Relief. And I, I got together my company of cats, let's go back there for a second, to um, do a benefit for Broadway Cares. So what I did was I put this under JSC Theatricals, right? I, I had a contract with the stage directors and choreographers union, the, the remote media contract. I paid myself zero dollars. Okay. Cause it was a benefit, zero dollars. However, I did, I think it's five bucks, give five bucks to my pension and welfare, right? Maybe it was 10 bucks, whatever it is. It was a nominal fee. But I had my sister sign the contract because she was a president of the company and she could then write, write me a check, which I just <laughs> in turn wrote back to the, wrote back to the union. So th that's one configuration of, of what I have done. So, um, it, it you know, Cal Hollywood's been doing this for decades. The, th the theater artists don't really have this, this acumen, um, built into their, into their, learning into the business psyche um but you have you know reese witherspoon has her own production company she produces her own work and she hires herself to do that work and it's a, it's it's a it's a simple you know not so simple sometimes but it's it's a way of well doing yeah business. for for designers you know designers will hire assistants and some people just hire the assistants pay them as an independent contractor. And I guess in this situation, we would say they're not uh, protected from liability doing it that way. And then there's other designers who say they have a design studio, which the work doesn't change, but they have an LLC set up and they pay people through the LLC. And I guess in that sense, they're, they're protected. I, I, I want to say like deductions and itemizations for taxes don't really change because you can still itemize as an independent contractor as you can with the LLC. I don't know that there's any tax benefits at all to to opening the LLC. I think it's just protection. It's protection, you know. And as you as you as you build your you know your your portfolio up, I have a Roth IRA account. I have several other accounts, inheritance, and this this kind of thing that I I I don't want anybody to to touch. That's why I separate from the personal from the professional. You have to look at yourself as a business, show business. So. Set yourself up as a business and work through that business when you do your work, period. Hire assistants. That's all I do is hire assistants. And as you well know, because we've worked together, I pay everyone. I volunteer for one organization, Broadway Cares. And that's why I said I paid myself zero dollars. My sister was like, when she saw the zero, she goes, who pays themselves nothing? I said, Lorianne, I do because it's, it's a benefit. So we, we're not making any money on this. But I hire assistants all the time. Like Pat Birch tied me into her contracts. I tie, I now have the fortune to tie assistants into my contracts. If I make X number of dollars, they get a percentage of that. 
But of course, then I, you know, pop that percentage up to the producer to say, you know, pay on top of this for an assistant. That's just that's just the way it is. So everybody gets paid. Yeah, everybody. Okay. Well, just go ahead and include the lighting designer in that um, in your contract as well. Can <laughs> well, you just you take know, care of everybody you know, here? <laughs> you know, Ethan, we we're we've been looking for for a project to to do, and we, what, we'll find what, yeah, it. we're we're gonna get another one. Yeah, the la- the last one we did was the boys from Syracuse at Theater Row. But I'm bringing it up because Josh Warner was our set designer. He yes. is a patron of Artistic Finance. Josh Warner, talented guy, wonderful designer. I would work with him in a in a in a in a, a, a snap of a finger. But one of the one of the great things about that is, I, as I hope you know, I am painfully loyal. When I when I assemble a team, that team, I stick with them, and they thankfully stick with me so some something in that machine must be working and josh when i saw that he went to emerson college i went i want to talk to him there's an allegiance that i have because i got a good education so i want to see with and emerson did a whole thing on us you know two two generations meet and blah 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 so it was it was a great collaboration on all great experience great show i hope to see it again one day or get it up on its feet again one day Just as Jonathan alluded to, collaboration is such a vital and important part of any artist's career. Working together hand-in-hand to put a show together and reach an audience with a particular message. Well, you too can work hand-in-hand with me in producing and promoting this podcast. And one way to do that is through your financial support. With a monthly subscription to Why I'll Never Make It through Supercast, you'll get access to bonus episodes and extra content that you can't find anywhere else. And in this week's bonus episodes, Ethan and I talk about our takeaways from this particular interview with Jonathan, as well as our own thoughts about finance and the business side of performing arts. So you are certainly welcome to help this podcast with a donation through PayPal. But if you'd like access to bonus episodes like these, then please consider a monthly subscription by going to whyillnevermakeit.com or just click on the link in the show notes. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, back to Ethan's interview with Jonathan Cerullo as they talk about connecting with an audience and fellow colleagues in other ways besides just on stage. 
I want to talk about email lists. You'll see advice that says no matter what your business is, no matter what you do, you need an email list because that's one way that you can directly connect with people. You know, it's not social media. It's not a website. It's a way that you can connect with no third party, you know, other than your email server. So that being said, I know that I should have an email list and I know that artistic finance should have an email list, but you do have one. Why did you start it? Um, and it, because it comes out, I'm going to say twice a year, and it's sort of an update on JSC theatricals. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 right about that. And and you know, I another Broadway play I I did mus- musical I did. Um, the producer Randall Rigert, who was just a gentleman of the theater, and we unfortunately lost Randall. He was the one who actually said to me because I was the so- assistant director on on Band in Berlin. It was called. He says, you know, you you director guys, you know, you 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 got to get like in 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 touch with like the internet and and uh, you know the 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 online media and all of this. This was before Twitter and Instagram and all these other social media platforms. This was just strictly a newsletter, an email, a, a, an announcement of something that you were doing. So I said, Randall, you're you're right. How do I do that? He goes, start a database. Make sure you have an accurate database. And you continually update it. But one thing you must do is ask permission. I said, oh, what do you mean ask? Who do I ask permission for? The internet? He goes, no, of the person you're asking to be put on that newsletter. So I've made it a practice, more often than not, to say, hey, I would like to, would you be okay for me to put you on my email list? I, I'm not a commercial entity. I, I, you know, I, I don't have a product to sell. I got a show that you, I want you to come and see. But I'm not selling a you know a, a, a bottle of uh, you know dishwasher detergent. Every company that I go into, I ask you know permission. Hey, listen, can I can I can I move you into my email list? You will always have the option to opt out of it. But I've made the I've respectfully asked that person, can I do this? And more often than not, they're like, absolutely, I'd love to. And then you start to engage in a, in your community. I curate my email list and I update it and I make sure that it's accurate. Um, I, I do it every six months, actually. Um, it's been a little less than that these past two years, but when I put an email, when I put a newsletter out, and you're right, I don't bombard people with it. I do it very carefully and judiciously. Um, I may push it out a little bit more when I'm actually fundraising for a show. The project that I did uh, called Windy Woo and Her Naughty Naughty Pets, I, I actually raised the capital for it. So I did a little bit more of an aggressive um, uh, newsletter campaign on that. But everything was carefully modulated. It was carefully placed. The email was specific to a time and a time of day, a specific objective. And that email list, right now, it, I you know, it's, it, I, I have... This is, it's nothing compared to some, but it's like, you know, over 3,000 emails that I actually have, you know, respectfully gotten, but that's all then connected or it has become connected now to other social media outlets such as Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. But the newsletter, the newsletter is where it's And when you say connected to, does that mean you write it and it, at the same time it emails out, it goes to the social media or that you just repurpose the content from the newsletter and go put it onto the social media? It's, it's all connected. It's all, everything is connected to everything else. So um, when I post my newsletter, I'm able to post it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
So those are the three platforms that I use. I am not on TikTok. Plenty of sorry. fish. You're not I, on plenty of fish. Yeah, I get I'm it. not on plenty of fish or go fish or. <laughs> I, 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 those are the only three that I, that I nuts and bolts of this. What software do you use or what program do you use to create the newsletter? Well, the, the newsletter, and I, and I'm glad you asked that because I wrote it down. It is your mailing list provider. So what I did was I did a cost survey analysis of what newsletter uh, programs were like. Uh, There's of course, constant contact. MailChimp. MailChimp, exactly. And I found that for where I was, for my budget, for what I needed, because I wasn't putting content out every week or every month or every day, I wanted the lowest common denominator uh, financially to to secure uh, this. And so uh, it's a program that's out of uh, Europe, actually, but I'm able to create a newsletter from a template that that I you know redesigned and repurposed for myself and for my branding because I wanted a very specific brand and I made a logo and so I use Gmail, Google Mail, my contact list, okay, and everything starts there and then I'm able to to export that into a database. So once you learn how to, you know, use an Excel spreadsheet, it all figures into each other very nicely. You asked about, you know, the email. You, I'm sure you've heard of the Sophie Tucker, the, the Chanteuse of the 20s and 30s and 40s. Well, there's a phenomenal documentary about her. And in the documentary, it validated what I was doing. When she toured the country, she, they found all of these huge books. She would write in that book, the names of everyone she came in contact with, their telephone number, their address, the position that they held at the theater. Because when she toured the country doing her show over 40 years, she knew Johnny, the bellman at the so-and-so hotel. His wife's name is Carla. Their anniversary. So she engaged with a client and she says, that means one thing, money. And she was building up her spreadsheet. So when she would go into a town, she would write them in, Johnny, I'm coming into town. I hope to see you at the show. That was a ticket. That was a sale for her. Then she would send them coming a flowers or thank you for coming. So there was a reciprocity of her fan base that she built up over time, but she made careful notes. And I thought, this is genius. This is brilliant. I'm doing the same thing. I'm building up when I want to invite somebody. I go, okay. Oh, so Ethan came to this workshop I did and he likes this kind of show. So I'm going to invite him to this because I think he might like this. So you curate your database as you move through time. When you're asking for money to fund a show, this comes in very handy. Not only because A, you've built up a relationship with them, they trust you. They want to see you succeed. They have the money to spend. The pitch is make a contribution to the arts and humanities. It is an essential service as far as I'm concerned. What we do is an essential service. Because without the arts, we are nothing. We are nothing without the arts. And I just don't mean creative arts. But you know, a mathematician, that's an art. A scientist, that's an art. We are nothing without art, you know? That separates us from the animal. From from. Well, does animals. it though? Because you're in the arts and you're also a cat. So 
I don't know how much separation <laughs> there is nice there. Very nice segue. Very good. You must be a writer too. Is that what, is okay? That what you're so doing? I, I yeah, Business I know, Insider I is one of those news sources that I that comes across my feed all the time. So there was an article they did recently called "When COVID nineteen shut Broadway down, digital theater filled the gap, and many think it's here to stay." Now that headline does not strike me. However, I clicked on it, and you are in the article talking about a Zoom production that you did. Can you just briefly tell us? about what you were talking about there? Absolutely. I'd been working on a, on a play, and uh, the opportunity came um, at the end of last year to engage in um, an online presentation of this play at the Blank Theater in Los Angeles. Now, the Blank Theater is a very well-recognized... It's like their Playwrights Horizons um, of, of Los Angeles. Uh, it, it actually is on what's called their theater row, from what I understand. So I said to the playwright who asked me to do it, "He says, well, we're in the height of COVID. What, you know, what am I to go to Los Angeles? I'm, what, what's happening here?" He says, "No, it's all going to be done online." I said, "I'm going to be upfront because that's who I am. I this is new territory for me, but bring it on. I'm interested in learning." Long story short, there was a system called. Uh, um, uh, o- OBS, uh, which is the Open Broadcast System. Basically, you're you're a fi- you're your own film production company. The wonderful producer Bree Parvey is her name. Said, "Hey, I'll walk you through this. We'll, we'll we'll figure this out." But it you are actually making a small film of your play. Uh, once I understood this, I said, "Oh my God, no one will ever do a Zoom reading, at, nor should they ever again." Because when you have this this uh, software, which is free, by the way, you will never look at doing an online streaming program if you don't have the capabilities of doing an in-house filming of your production, like they did with Diana, or you've got you know Netflix behind you. But if you're if you're doing this in in this raw format that that was very affordable, it's the way to go. I storyboarded the whole show. Uh, there was camera angles there was graphics involved with it there was movement of of the of the images you're still dealing in 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 a square frame with that actor because they are stationary in their home wherever their location may be i was in new york one actor was in los angeles the playwright was in sacramento and another actor was in hawaii so i had like four time zones three time zones i had to deal with but we got it done we rehearsed on zoom i'll say that but then we switched over to this system called OBS, Open Broadcast System. We had a camera rehearsal. We had a full day of shooting. We had a day of pickups. And then it was edited. Music was put underneath it. And when the thing, when, you know, when, when we saw the rough cut, uh, you know, there were changes that we could make to it. But it was brilliant. And I said, this is not going anywhere. And now, of course, we've, we've gone one step beyond that. And SAG-AFTRA has this mini contract. Are you familiar with this? I have not worked under it yet, but this videographer that I've worked with, Matt Gurin, told me about it. So Matt, Matt is a brilliant artist. I, I worship the ground he walks on. He's a terrific guy, ridiculously talented man. I, I hadn't seen him in you know these two years, and I, I, I went to the theater the other day because you know I'm an artistic associate for the Amos Musical Theater. I don't know if your audience knows that, but I'm a proud proud artistic associate. There's only four of us there. He's their go-to videographer. He was there and I was like, hey, how you doing? And and he said, I said, what, what have you been up to? He goes, well, we just, we just filmed 
Rio, what's Rio it called? Rio, Rio uphill. I said, what do you mean filmed it? He goes, oh yeah, we just did it on the SAG after mini contract. I was like, what? So immediately I got home and I went online and I've downloaded all the information. I'm now discussing this with a project that I'm working on. It allows you to film your show for a multi, multi range of, 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 of opportunities with it. It's the way that this is going to happen. It's the way that the, the world, and it should be this way. You've got to be able to, to combine this format, which has been around. We're actually talking through it right now. It's not going anywhere. So equity, SDC, we all need to come to the table and, 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 and shake hands on it. And, and, and they are. So let me give your listeners the exact name of this particular contract. It's called a micro-budget agreement. And you can find all of the paperwork on that in the SAG-AFTRA. It's called micro-budget agreement. Boy, when I came across this, and I, I thank Matt for it, I was like, oh boy, this is, this is the way to go. I am such a visual human being. I, I'm a photographer as well. And, and you know, if theater were to, to collapse tomorrow, I still have this, this wonderful instrument, which I can hold at the end of my hand and, and, and seriously be happy in life. What financial advice or career advice would you give to somebody who's starting right now? Think of yourself as a business entity. You're your own calling card. If they haven't been told that, they need to hear that. But as far as your financial uh, the first thing I was told is make a budget and stick to it. Make a budget. You spend X number of dollars on laundry, X number of dollars on headshots, X number of dollars on classes. Make a budget and keep within that budget so that you are never going what? Over budget. And know what your intake is and what your outtake is. And be organized with that. There are so many um, tax benefits that you can have when you take your close to the laundry. Those are audition clothes. They, that's a tax deduction. So, so be, talk to your accountant as to how you successfully handle all of the deductions that you can take. I work out of my home. My, I can take a percentage of my, my rent off of my, off of my taxes. So, and that's another reason why I, I, I built a, you know, a business. Absolutely make a budget. Learn how to do an Excel spreadsheet. I didn't. I learned and now I live by them. And as a dancer, you have transferable skills. What's the first thing they teach you in dance? Be on time. That's a transferable skill through life. Know the text. Know when you walk into the room, you're going you're gonna to do center, you're going to do bar work, you're going to do across the floor. Know it. Come into the room with a head full of ideas. That's the only way you're going to be able to work, is if you come into that room and you have ideas. Those are all transferable skills that you can use as you, as you march forward in life. And of course, you know, there are, I, I will mention this book through the New York Foundation for the Arts. It's called The Profitable Artist. It's the Bible. Absolutely get it. It explains everything that you need to know, how to incorporate, what do you trademark, how do you license, how do you copyright, you know, your work, everything that comes out of your mouth, that's intellectual property. You know, if you put that down on a piece of paper as a dancer, you have an idea for a ballet and you put that down on a piece of paper and you write that up. That is a tangible means of expression. That is a copywritten, a copyrightable piece of document that you can then put through the United States Copyright Office and you have the copyright on that. Think of yourself as a business and the profitable artist, New York Foundation for the Arts, 
it's a Bible, I tell you. The Commercial Theater Institute is another great organization that you should hear listening to. I don't know. To. I don't know. I'm, sure I'm not know so of, sure. And I, don't, I don't know if we've mentioned it, actually. Well, then you should. The Commercial CTIs, it's called. Um, and there's a gambit of you know various uh, things that you can get from them. Is you know The Profitable ha- Artist. Is that like a, a book book by an author? A or book. it's yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. a total book. Oh, it's a consortium of authors. It's all different people, and they just—they just—I um, have it somewhere over here. Uh, they just—I um, do you say like an update, a new addition to it. They republished it, so it, it's really incredible. And and you know, start to read contracts. Start to figure out, you know, budget. That's where it starts. Numbers don't lie. They just don't lie, and you can't make them lie. Actually, I mean, you can, you can, but. There's a little thing called um, the uh, law. It's funny and, that you uh, say numbers don't lie because that's what I was thinking when you were saying a budget, make a budget. Because we had another Italian American on this, <laughs> Lisa Paniccia. That's her favorite saying: is the numbers don't lie. I, the reason I was afraid of numbers. Now I'll tell you. I learned that I was severely dyslexic. There's many, many forms of dyslexia, but I have the most common, which is alpha and numeric dyslexia. Not only do I switch numbers, like an eight and a nine or a six and a nine, or just flip numbers, you know, in a, in a sequence, I can't add in my head. Uh, I, that, that's, I just can't add in my head. And I had a lot of problems with f- fractions and decimal points. And, and don't ask me to do a percentage because I just, I don't I have no idea. Numeric dyslexia is also the same thing where you switch numbers and letters. So one thing I was going to say about your about your newsletters, for God's sake, make sure it is accurate to the decimal point and to the period and to the comma. Because once it gets sent out there, it looks really bad to say, oops, sorry, which I've had to do. I spelled the name wrong. A link doesn't work. Test it before you put it out there. That's an imprint that then you can't pull it back because it, 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 it's out okay, there. Okay, so. so I don't have a newsletter, but I do post Patreon-only content for, for my 22 patrons. Thank you, patrons. Every time I generate content, it sends an email. So in a way, that's a newsletter. And I didn't even know that until a couple people said, oh, yeah, I'm always getting your emails. I like your emails. And then I realized, oh, I'm sending them a newsletter every single time I post something. <laughs> but that's engaging... It's engaging in your audience. So now that you know that, you you have the ability to curate that and respect it, you know, and, and embrace it. Because I don't know how else in our profession we're able to to get that out there. You know, you got to put the butts in the seats, as they say in, in the business. We are in a in a in a in a, in a highly visible. Entity. Well, I was going to say about you're making a mistake with the uh, newsletter. When I send out the newsletter for Patreon, I can go back to the original post and make changes. And then there's an option that says, do not update people about this correction. I, I, I sort of have another big sort of global rule I, I think about. And this may be, may be interesting for your listeners. But always answer the five W's. Who, what, where, when, and why. And if you have that as your foundation, who are you? What do you want to say? When do you want to say it? Where do you want to say it? And most importantly, why? Answer those five questions for yourself. I do this on every show I do. Who, what, where, when, and why? But you've got to be able to understand those simple, basic questions. And then you can build up. Listen, I, I, I didn't pull off the Christmas tree yesterday. I'm grateful to have you know, done, been doing what I'm doing. 
I have an incredible, wonderful, you know, pool of, of great artists in this town and, and, and in Los Angeles a bit. When I would go to the theater, I would invariably run into someone I know, you know, and that's, that's the community that uh, is, is sacred to me. You ask how you deal with on, this online social media, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope. I have one thing to say that my mom taught us. It's very simple, and it's what you learned in kindergarten. Be careful crossing the street, hold each other's hands, and look both ways. That's all. Be nice. Be nice. I, 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 I feel a lot of times, you know, um, this whole thing is opened up to your comment. Well, if I don't know you, why would you open yourself up to that comment? The filter has been shut off, and there is no filter anymore. And we've given this outlet for this demonstrative behavior. I don't engage in it at all. Be careful how you modulate it and set your boundaries. As you cross the street and look both ways and be nice. And you can turn somebody around like that. I got on the bus the other day and my phone app, the Wi-Fi, didn't show my ticket. The bus driver got enraged. He got angry. And I just, I said, be nice. Please be nice. We'll figure this out. Let me step aside so that the other customer, and I did. And I showed it to him. And as I got off the bus, he turned around and said, I'm sorry. I said, no problems, no worries, no worries. Have a good day. But if I had engaged in a confrontation with this man, it would have gone just nowhere. But as it turned out, this guy, who I didn't, I'll probably never see again, apologized. That's what I mean. Be nice. Look both ways before you cross the street and hold hands. I held the guy's hand. I said, be, be nice. You know? So there you have it. All right. Well, Jonathan, I absolutely loved this chat. I can't thank you enough for taking the time and, and just sharing all this with us. You are so welcome, Ethan. That was our interview with Jonathan Cerullo. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. CFOs and controllers, there's a better way to manage cards, expenses, travel, and reimbursements. You need a unified spend platform from Brex that lets you control all your spend in one place, automate compliance, and close the books faster. Get started at Brex.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. 
This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.